This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Good morning, good morning. Hey, can we just before we start, can we, the Bible says we should outdo one another with honor. So your pastor has honored so many of you, but can we take just a few moments just to honor their work, their effort, their prayer, their vision of what God has given them. So we honor both of you. Planting a church is tough. You age fast. You know, we're only 27, but I mean, it's, we have aged so quickly when you, when you plant a church. I, I told my wife the other day, uh, ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. If you took the people out of it. It would be fantastic because it's the people, but it's the people you love and the people who God's called you to shepherd. So I'm so honored to be here on your fifth birthday. And, and I remember we're only just a few years older than you. We're, we're eight years old. And the reason I know that we're eight years old is because our second son was born two weeks before the church started. So I just have to remember how old he is. And then and what also helps is to remember that I can also compare where my eight-year-old son is and be reminded that in many ways the church is still eight years old. And so I want to just tell you, as, as this church continues to grow, remember, you're, you're five. Celebrate being five. You're not ready to drive yet. You're not ready to buy your first home. Oh, you want a home. I get it. We're going to buy a home. We're going to get one. But, but don't compare where your church should be and hold, hold yourself to a standard of where you should be. Celebrate where God has you and then be the best five-year-old you can be so that when you're six, you can stop acting five. And you get to be six. You get to be seven. And so I'm so honored to, to be here. We do have four boys, so, so Sonia and I already worked out a dowry. A couple chickens, a couple goats, we're good to go. You need one more, though, because we have four. You need one more. So, but it's good to be here. My, my wife wishes we could be here, but to find a babysitter for four of our boys requires a small army. And so we're, we're going to be here next year. I told our children about this. My brother and I, he's here with me this weekend. We talked about how we wish when we were younger, growing up in Chicago, we had a church like this. We had a church where you saw our people coming together, but a multi-ethnic and intergenerational congregation worshiping Jesus together. Because the beauty of the gospel is not just being reconciled to God through the cross, but being restored to one another at the table, to sit together, to pray with one another, to bless one another, to anoint one another, to share with one another. And so what the Lord is doing here don't take it for granted. I travel all over the country, and I'm telling you, this is not happening across the country. So rejoice in what the Lord is doing in and through you. Amen? Well, listen, my, my only role here this morning is to encourage you. I want to leave you encouraged on your fifth birthday. And I was telling, I was telling my wife, when, our, when all of our sons turned five, or they all had their birthdays, we would sing, you know, happy birthday to them. And and I noticed, I noticed very differently how my wife is, uh, you know, Caucasian. That means white. And, and so they do birthdays different. They do birthdays different than we do. You know, in our, in our family growing up, you, you feed each other cake and all kinds of stuff. And then have you noticed where we come from? There's multiple verses of happy birthday. She would just sing, you know, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. And then, wait, wait, we still have. May God bless you, dear. Happy long life to you. Like, how many verses are there? Can I, I just want my cake. Can I just cut my cake already? But it's your fifth birthday. I want to encourage you as you move into a new season. 
Because as you get older, have you noticed that every birthday you have, whether it's in your own life or maybe your children or someone in your family, as you're gathering around, usually the question is, so, so what are you going to do next? And, and as you get older, the question always seems to be, what are you going to do? And as you get older, it's, are you going to go to college? And then where are you going to study? And then are you going to get married? Are you going to have, it's always about doing. But what if the question isn't about doing? What if the question is, hey, in this new year, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming as a people, becoming as a family, becoming as a church? And if the aim of the Christian life is to become like Jesus, and I think it is, then the question of who are we becoming is an important one. It's a question of essence. It's a question of character. It's a question of vision. And what I believe what God wants to do in you is to cause you to become a church of joy. Not, not temporary happiness, not momentary satisfaction. When, when everything is going your way, then, then we'll be joyful. But what if in the midst of opposition, in the midst of struggle, in the, in the midst of turmoil, God would bring into your gathering, into you as a people, a deep and abiding joy. This is what he invites you into. It was the summer of, of 1858, and a young man named Jean-Francois Gravelet, better known as Charles Blondine, makes his way to the Niagara Falls. About 25,000 people had gathered from across the nation to see if this man could do the impossible. Could he walk across Niagara Falls? And so there he begins to take one step after another. The wind is blowing at 80 miles an hour, but he is focused. He has 1,200 feet to go to get across this great chasm, what is known as the boiling cataract. As he takes his last step, the crowd erupts with volume and praise to this man who has done what no one has ever seen before, crossing the Niagara Falls. Over the course of his life, he'll, he'll take this trip over 300 times. On one particular occasion, the crowd is gathered, some 30,000 people are there, and he, he stands on one side and he says, do you believe I can cross this chasm? And they say, yes, we believe. Do you believe I can make it to the other side? Yes, we know you can. Do you think I can get to the other side without falling? Yes, we know you can. And then he says, then who will go with me? And the crowd is silent. See, it's one thing to know God's invitation in theory. It's another to receive it and to experience it in reality. What you have to know is that in every season of your life, regardless of what you are facing, and some of you are facing some real significant things, whether it be success or it be sorrow, God is inviting you into a life of joy. It's an invitation that God himself, the creator of the universe, is giving to you to be invited into his joy. I want to look at John chapter 15, just a few verses, verses 1 through 4, verses 7, the 9, and 11. And I want to just show you very briefly the invitation that the Lord Jesus himself has for you, Commission Church, on this fifth birthday of yours. And he says this in Verse 1 of chapter 15, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that, do, sorry, does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he 
prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Now, this is the key. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, neither can you unless you, say it with me, abide in me. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my, say the word, that my? Come on, say it with me. That my joy may be in you and that your may be full. My mom is the best cook that I know. Now, I know some of you think you can cook. I know some of you think your moms can cook. That's cute. It really is. <laughs> but, but I have seen things happening when my, when my mom has cooked and people have eaten her food that would only be classified as a miracle. Now, I, I've seen world leaders sign peace treaties over my mom's lemon rice and chicken curry, okay? I have seen families restored after they've tasted the warm chapati that's come out of the oven. I have heard of babies being conceived after an evening of having dinner at my mom's house. Now, here's the thing. When my mom comes to visit, when my mom comes to visit the house and word spreads that my mom is coming, my phone starts blowing up. Hey, when's your mom cooking? When's your mom cooking? When's your mom cooking? Now, what are they asking for? Uh, can you give us the, the ingredients she's using? Can you give us the theory of what she's making? What are they looking for? An invitation. They want a seat at the table. They want to come and sit and dine and experience all that my mom has to offer in this plate of food. See, many of us look at the things that Jesus is inviting us into, and we look at it simply as a theory, rather than something that is meant to be experienced. And the question before us today is whether or not we are going to be a people that live in joy. Well, that depends on the invitation that you choose. Every morning from the time you wake up and your feet hit the ground, you are bombarded with invitations. It might be the sound of little children who need something from you. It might be your phone next to you already blowing up with all the emails you have to catch up on. It might be social media calling out to you because you feel the pressure at 6 a.m. to already begin to curate a perfect life so everyone else can think that your life is great. And whatever invitation you choose will determine the reality you experience. So if you are in a season of not experiencing the joy of Christ, the, the question is not, is joy not available? The question is, what invitation am I choosing? Because according to John 15, Jesus is extending to you, regardless of who you are, regardless of whatever you have done, whatever you have experienced in this life. I remember years ago, I was in high school, I was driving with my, my parents in our 1996 Ford Taurus. My parents were listening to the radio. It was rare that they would listen to anything that was a non-Christian radio station. But this was one of those rare occasions. And on this radio comes this boy band. Maybe you know the name of them. It's called the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> and on this, on this particular occasion, the song that came on went a little like this. Sing it with me if you, if you know it, okay? <laughs> it went like this. I don't care who you are, where you're from, don't care what you did. As long as you, 
Now, there's only a few confident sinners in the house. The rest of you, the rest of you, you, you know the same pressure I grew up with. We weren't allowed to listen to that stuff. So we had to take CDs and, you know, we had to write Amy Grant, but it was actually something else that we burned on the CD. It wasn't that. So if our parents found it, like, what are you listening to? Oh, it's my Amy Grant tapes, Dad. So this song comes on the radio, and my dad, true story, my dad goes, what kind of a dirty song is this? I don't care who you have done, what you have touched, who you've touched, as long as you love me. And I said, I'm in the back, I'm 15, I'm like, Dad, isn't that the gospel? He says, hey, shut up. See, many of us think that joy is only available if we do all the right things. If you clean yourself up, if you act the right way, if you do the right religious things, if you put on the good performance, then joy is available. But Jesus is saying to you, come to me as you are, with as your family. This is, the, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. You can come to him not as you should be, not as you must be, not as you want to be, but as you are, you can come to him, and it is his love that will transform you and change you and place you in the position to receive the joy that he has for you. So he says, if you want this joy, verse 4, Abide in me, remain in me, dwell with me, stay with me, and my joy, my joy, not circumstantial happiness, not momentary satisfaction, eternal, enduring, unshakable joy will be yours. This joy I have for you, and I'm telling you, church, as you move into this next year, with all of its complexities, with, with all of its opportunities, you are going to be tempted to try to live in your own strength. Some of you right now are in seasons of your marriage where you are tempted to live in your own strength. Some of you are in single seasons of singleness, navigating the pressures of singleness in a culture that constantly is asking you the question of why you're single. And you're going to be tempted to try to find joy and satisfaction in your own self. And to all of us, Jesus is saying, abide in me, rest in me, dwell with me, stay with me. Which means two things for us today. If we want to live in this joy that is available to us, if you want to experience the joy moving forward for the rest of your life, it means two things. The first is this. Jesus is the source of our joy. Notice what he says in the text. I am the vine and you are the branches, which means in order for a branch to exist, it must be attached to the vine. The branch gets its life, its identity from the vine. In the same way, a child in utero cannot exist unless it is attached to a mother. We cannot survive and find joy if we are not attached to the one who gives life, who gives our identity, who calls us new creations. Do you want to receive the good news today that you are not better versions of yourself? That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is not given to you to just be a better version of yourself. The gospel is given to us that we might be new creations. See, the problem with sin is we often look at sin fundamentally as an activity or as a behavior, but it's far worse than that. Yeah. Growing up in India, the, the thing that we would see all the time that you don't quite see in the American West is the moment we would leave 
our property, we would see men and women with leprosy everywhere. And if you've ever seen leprosy, it is a cruel and vile disease that completely just moves in a way that is so dark against the human body, against those made in the image of God. And the way that it works is it attacks your central nervous system where you can't feel anymore. It begins to affect your eyes because you can no longer blink and so your eyes become dry and parts of your skin begin to fall off. You lose your limbs and ears and nose and, and I would see this condition. And when the Bible speaks about leprosy in the New Testament, it is actually pointing to that is what our hearts look like. Sin is leprosy of the heart. It is a condition of the heart that cannot be curated or fixed by better behavior or managing your sin. It needs a brand new heart. My eight-year-old son is very much like me, and he sees the world in black and white. My older son is more nuanced in the way that he approaches the world and his compassion towards others. But my eight-year-old, is it either is or it isn't. Anyone have a child like that? It is or it isn't. Or maybe you're that child. It is or it isn't. So he comes home the other day and he says, Dad, tribe said a bad word at school today. But don't worry. I took him to the corner and we prayed so he gets to go to heaven. <laughs> I was like, Eli, if you're really worried about people with a potty mouth not going to heaven, you should be praying for your mom. Okay? That's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> She's not here and I'm a citizen now, so she can't do anything. <laughs> but that's often how we... Okay, so, so if I want the joy that God has, then I just have to kind of manage my behavior and I have to sort of just curate the way that I act because then, then I'll get the joy. And Jesus is saying, no, when you abide in me, you become brand new. Why? Sin is fundamentally a detachment from God, a detachment from the ways of God, the thoughts of God, from the love of God. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is reattaching you to the Father reattaching you to a love that you were born and destined and designed to live in and experience. And the reason that many of us don't experience joy is while we call on the name of Jesus, we're actually attached to our compulsions. We're attached to our agreements. How many of you in here have made agreements? How many of you have thought agreements in your own mind? Oh, we'll never be a church that size. You've made an agreement. I'll tell you, it's not with God, it was with the devil. Oh, we'll never, we'll, we'll never get over this addiction. We'll, we'll never be that kind of a family. We'll, we'll never have in, enough to give away and help the cause of other people. We'll always be lonely. I'll always be single. Divorce is always going to run in my family. You have made agreements with someone who is not God. And the reason you're not experiencing the joy that God offers you is because you refuse to detach from the agreements and the compulsions that you have made with the devil. And you cannot outwork those attachments. Only God through the cross can take those and bring you back to the cross where you are now attached to all that he is, love and peace and holiness and grace and beauty and joy. You know why people were attracted to Jesus? He was always joyful. He was always joyful. You know, the one characteristic about Jesus that I, that I absolutely love is he was never offended. He had righteous anger, to be sure, but Jesus was never offended. Have you ever met an offended person who is full of joy? I have never met an offended person who is full of joy. Never. I have never seen that person on social media. I've never met that person in the hallway of the church. I've never met that person in the grocery store who is offended by everything. 
was speaking at a college a, a few months ago, and, and I spoke about something, and this young girl came up to me, and she said, I just want you to know that I was offended by what you said. I was like, oh, well, I'm offended that you were offended by what I said that offended you. And she's like, uh, I, I, I don't know if that's, I was like, well, I was totally fine till you said I offended you. Now I'm offended. See how this works? See how this, we can play this game all day. And as we're talking, I asked her, I was like, do you have any joy in your life? Offended people don't have joy. Entitled people don't have joy. Jesus was so attractive because in the midst of whatever he was going through, this is God himself who left the splendors of heaven and is now walking with us in our brokenness, in our wickedness, and yet full of joy. And he offers that to you, which means Jesus must be the source of our joy. How do we come to this? Jesus says, if you want this joy, you have to remain in my word. Remain in my word. A recent study suggests that Christians, Christians in America, spend 3,000 hours a year consuming digital content. 3,000 hours a year. This is Christians of which less than 150 is spent on Christian content. That would be the equivalent of me eating trash, actual trash, and then having that one little piece of kale, and then wondering, I wonder why my stomach always hurts. I wonder why I always feel sick. I don't know, maybe because you're eating trash all day. And this is what we do with our minds, our souls, our bodies, our spirits. Ask yourself a question. How much of God's word is oriented in your families? How many of us as fathers and mothers sit and bless our children and teach them how to memorize the scriptures? The, the first scriptures that my children memorize are Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Are our marriages filled with the word of God? Is our churches filled with the word of God? Are we standing on the truth and the word of God? Why? Because our, the word reminds us that we are already cleansed. That God has already done for us what we could not do for ourselves. So we can stop striving. Stop trying to earn his affection. Stop performing for God all the time. Aren't you, some of you, tired of performing? That by the time you walk in the doors, you have to put on a new performance of who you are so that no one knows what's actually going on in our homes, in our lives, in our souls. The word reminds us that we are cleansed. And the word, I could preach on this for an hour. So could your preacher. That the word is not a theory. It's not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. The word is a person. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word, so remain in me is what he is saying. And as you remain in me, you will live as a distinct and unique people in the world. My hope for this church and my hope for you is that you would live a distinct life from the people around in Plano, that they would see something unique in you. And they would long to be attached to the story that God has attached you to. And that can only happen as you live as a people of the word. But Jesus is not only the source of your joy, he must also be the sustainer of your joy. 
My five-year-old is trying to water some roses that my wife has in our backyard a few weeks ago. And he comes running. He's like, Dad, I, I, the water's not coming out. I, I can't figure out why the water's not coming out. And we go outside, and I went, well, son, the, the hose isn't attached to the actual house. See, some of us come to Jesus once, and then we'll go kind of try it our own way. And Jesus says, if you want to live in the joy, I cannot only be the source. I must not only be the source. I must also be the sustainer. Why? Do you notice that a branch doesn't bear any fruit? Nobody looks at an apple tree and says, wow, that's a great apple branch. That's a wonderful orange branch. Branches don't produce anything. We simply hold what the vine is producing. You know a tree by its fruit. The branch is merely what's holding the fruit. It's the vine that's producing the fruit. If you want to experience the fruit of joy, which according to the Apostle Paul is a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is, come on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You can't produce, I can't produce any of it. And some of you in this room today, aren't you tired of trying? Aren't you tired of, of trying to produce fruit and trying to produce love and trying to produce joy and trying to produce self-control? How many of you in here, your spirit continues to be broken because you're trying by the, by the sense of your will to do something? You can't produce anything. Jesus produces it. We hold it if we are attached and remain attached to him. But here's the problem. Here's the fundamental problem. If you want to experience the joy that Jesus has for you, you have to realize one thing. Jesus doesn't negotiate. Now, this is hard for us because we love to negotiate, don't we? We love, it's in our blood. We love to negotiate. My wife and I see this every night at bedtime. Four kids off to bed, eight o'clock on the dot. You gotta go to bed. And every parent in the house knows let the games begin. <laughs> Let the negotiations begin. I don't know why we have politicians negotiating for peace. Just send any parent of a toddler. They can get it done. The games begin in bed. It's quiet for 10 seconds. And all of a sudden it's, I'm hungry. <laughs> I, I'm thirsty. I'm scared. And then you're going back and forth, negotiating, negotiating. You know, my wife and I have a firm policy. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't do it. My, my eight-year-old, we have this thing we do in our house just called screen time. So you get an hour of screens. You know, it's sort of a, a, a privilege you get in the house. And so my eight-year-old, the other day, a few months ago, my wife says, hey, it's time to, to get the iPad back. So he walks over. He gives her back the iPad. He walks away. Everything's fine. But then he stops. And he looks at her and he goes, mom, this time I gave it to you nicely. Next time, I may not. And I ran, I'm like, Eli, man, your mom is from Texas. She will kill you. Like, you don't, don't do things like that. See, we love to negotiate with Jesus. Jesus, if you get me in the marriage, I'll take it from here. Jesus, if you just get me the kid that I want, the child that we want, but then I got it from here. God, if you grow the church to the size that we dream about, then we got it from here. We'll take care. You just get us in. You just be the source, but then we'll take care of everything else. And the thing about Jesus you have to know is he doesn't negotiate. You know why? A Jesus that negotiates doesn't get crucified. 
A Jesus that says, hey, come to me, but sexuality, your way. Parenting, your way. Marriage, your way. Money, your way. Career, your way. That Jesus doesn't get crucified. Dorothy Sayers, she says, to do them justice, those who hung Jesus never accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they found him too dynamic to be safe because he won't negotiate. He says, you want joy? You want joy in your marriage? You, you want joy in your season of parenting? You want joy in your season of singleness? You want joy in your career? You want joy in the midst of suffering? You want joy in the midst of cancer? You want joy in the midst of sorrow? You want joy in the midst of success? Well, listen, listen, listen. He says, it's my way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the joy you are longing for. And the only way you can have this joy is if it's my way. And I'm telling you that as you continue to get bigger as a church, the temptation will be to do things your way. As you begin to see more and more people with stories of brokenness, with stories of success, with stories of what God wants to cultivate in this place, you will be tempted. You will be tempted to abide in your own talent, to abide in your own wisdom, to abide in your own resources, to abide in your ability to put things together, and you might experience growth, but you won't experience joy. Jesus says the only way you experience this joy is if you remain in me. But what part of me? He says, remain in my love. Love. A love that reminded you and reminds you that when you were at your worst, God gave you his best. A love that reminds you that the scriptures are filled with 8,810 promises that God has designed for you to experience. You know, their Bible has 8,810 promises that tells you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That my mercy is sufficient for you. That my grace is good. That I am your light in your salvation, whom shall you fear? That you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that no weapon formed against you can prosper. And we live in these promises. We remain in his love because they remind us, they give us the assurance that in all things, God will have his way. Death will not have the final say. Cancer will not have the final say. Darkness does not have the final say. Divorce does not have the final say. Anxiety does not have the final say. Jesus has the final say, and his final say to you, church, is joy. Joy. But whose joy? His joy. Not your joy. His joy. So Charles Blondine makes this invitation. Who will go with me? And the crowd is silent. Nobody wants to go. So he points to his manager, whose name is Harry Colcord. He says, Harry, I want you to come and go across with me. Harry has no idea this is happening. And so he says, Harry, I want you to climb on my back and hold on. But here's the thing. Don't do anything. Don't try to do anything. Don't lean. Don't try to take a step. Just hold on and relax. Just rest, and I will get us across from this side to that side. And when I do, you are going to join and experience the explosion of joy when I get us across. When you were standing across a chasm that you could not get across, a chasm of death and sin and sorrow and brokenness, and you have tried everything to get across, Jesus comes to your side, and he says, 
if you would just hold on. Don't do anything. Don't try anything. Don't take any steps. Just hold on. But, but what about all my baggage? Yeah, that, that comes too. What, what about all the, the pain? Yep, yeah, that comes too. What about all the attempts at that? All, I'll take all that. Don't try anything. I'll get us across. And when I get across, you will experience the joy that I have endured on the cross, that kept me on the cross, scorning its shame and its sorrow, and I will get you to the other side. You're in a season where your marriage is difficult, where you're a season of loneliness, you're a season of anxiety, and Jesus comes to you and he says, hey, listen, I'll, I'll take you across, but you just hold on. Don't attempt anything. Just hold on, and I'll get you there. I'll take you to the other side, and you will see that in all things, I'm good. I'm holy, and I'm blameless, and I love you. And friends, I don't want you to miss this joy. I don't want you to miss this joy. I want you to run after this joy. On this, your fifth birthday, in what will be decades of ministry together, of God doing the unimaginable, I want you to experience the joy that God has for you in your life and in your marriage and your season and in your family, with your children, with your parents, in your business, in all things, experience the joy, but you've got to run to that joy. You've got to run to it. A couple years ago, my, my son is now 18 months, but it was February of 2022, and I'm in Dallas. I tell my wife, we should get an apartment here. We're in Dallas all the time, and I'm in Dallas, and it's, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and my wife calls me, and she at this time is is within two weeks of giving birth to our, our fourth son. And she calls me at seven in the morning and she says, hey, when are you getting home to Denver? And this is strange because Hannah never calls me that early in the morning. And so I'm like, are, are you okay? What's going on? She's like, I'm having the baby. You've got to get home. You've got to get home. And, and so just so you know, my, my wife's labors are fast. We're talking five to 15 minutes. I mean, fast labor. So she's like, I'm, I'm headed to the hospital. The baby's coming in. He's like, you've got to get home. So I, I pack up all my stuff and I run, I run to the, to, I get to the airport. I call my one friend. Of course, he's a white dude who watches NASCAR. I was like, who's the one guy that I know that watches NASCAR who can get me from the airport to St. Joe's as quick as possible? Jake, you got to come pick me up. So Jake is there waiting for me. I'm in the airport. The plane is not taking off. The plane finally takes off. I land in DIA. I get my stuff, and I am sp I'm sprinting, sprinting to the airport, which, let me tell you, is not a good look for a brown man with a beard and a backpack. <laughs> it's not a good look. I am sprinting and I get to the hospital just in time for the delivery of Levi St. John and the explosion of joy in that moment. I'm telling you, that's the way you gotta run to joy. Run to joy. It is available for you. And I believe what God is going to do in this church over these last 24 hours that I've just been with you, I've sensed a, a new prophetic voice that is going to come out of this place. Songs are going to be written. Books are going to be written. God is going to raise up men and women in ministry. God is going to unleash among you the priesthood of believers where you are caring for one another, speaking prophetic words and life over one another. God is going to bring heat. God is going to draw people to this place. You are going to be, and you are a city on a hill, and God in this city is 
is going to draw people here, not to make much of you, but they might experience the joy because I'm telling you, when you walk out of those doors, what people are longing for is to know that there's a kind of joy that they don't have to buy because they know they can't afford it, that they don't have to earn because they know they can't earn it, but God himself is going to gift that to them in and through Jesus by the Spirit for the glory of the Father. And friends, I want you to receive that joy and run with that joy. It is God's gift to you. And my prayer for you is that you would be the most contagious people in the city because of the joy of Christ in you. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus and the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God, would you come now? Increase joy. Increase grace. Bring peace. Bring healing. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.